Well, Colossians 4, verse 7 through 9, part one of precious people. And uh, it's interesting as Paul's wrapping up this book in this final chapter, he is going to give us some really neat insights and instructions as he wraps it up. You know, we think what is in a a name. He's going to give us 10 different names here and all of them very interesting people that we're going to find. We're going to look at a couple of them today. Well, we just saw the Jesus Revolution movie. What's in the name of Chuck Smith? How does that affect you? Or Lonnie Frisbee, how God mightily used him. Or Billy Graham or Osama bin Laden or Judas. All these names have definitely an effect upon us. And hopefully today there'll be two more added to your repertoire of names that stir you up. Interesting, Paul mentions a hundred people in the New Testament when you look at all his letters. And in the book of Romans, he has the most. He has 26 different people at the last couple of chapters of Romans. But in this tiny, tiny book of Colossians, he actually has 10 people that he mentions. And there's all kinds of different people in the world and in the church. There are people that strengthen you, and there are people that drain you. There are people that are your counselors, and then there's people that are your counselees. There's people that support you, and then those that you support. There are prayer warriors, and then there's people that you limp along with and pray much for them. So in this life's journey, you have few people, though, who will really stick it out to the very end, going through thick and thin, up and down. Uh, And I have a number of good friends, and we have been through so many difficult things, and every one of them bind us closer together. But um, you'll discover that Something that happens regularly is that people abandon you, especially in your time of need. I think when people are young and that happens, they have a tendency to get angry, upset, bitter, because they had higher expectations and they were disappointed. But then you, you just realize that man is frail, man is weak. It's interesting in John, Jesus said he put his hands, he put his life into no man's hands, for he knew what was in all men. We're weak as human beings in this fallen nature. But Paul understood this. We see in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16 through 17, he said, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May God not charge it against them. This is when he's standing before Nero. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and also I delivered out of the mouth of the lion, Nero, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul just said, yep, there I am. The time, the one time I needed supporters in this courtroom, and, and Nero, who I was in judge before, looked around and said, not one person is standing with you. Not Luke. Not Silas, not Timothy, all the the guys uh, didn't want to become, I guess, found guilty by association. (laughs) You know, Nero's like, yeah, Paul, you're guilty, and anybody else who's supporting you, they're also going to be killed. Very possible. 
The quote I learned early on in ministry is, you will discover that when you need people the most, they will be there the least. That's just something that repeats itself. David talks about this in Psalms 27.10. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. In Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. I like the old King James, vain is the help of man. <laughs> but through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. I think God just puts us in that place where we're hedged in from every side, where nobody can help us, and we have to get our eyes on God, and God alone is our hope and our help. We just all individually need to come to that place to say, Lord, help me to be a faithful friend. Worse yet, not to be the divisive person or a hurtful person. Lord, help me to be that positive, believing, praying, helpful friend. So you can't... <clears throat> Help others be a good and faithful friend. But you can just say, I will be that person to others. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Doesn't mean they're ever going to do it back to you. See, a lot of people, that's what they say. Do unto others as you would have them do it to you. So I do it to them, and now I train them. So when I need them, they're going to do it back to me, but they don't. So you just you can't stand around and, and say, okay, I'm counting on you guys to do it, and, and then if you don't do it, I'm going to be disappointed. No, nope. get your eyes on God and God alone. So we're going to now look at the various people in Paul's life and ministry and discover all kinds of unique people. Let's read this couple of verses here today, three of them, chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Tychicus, a beloved brother faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, <clears throat> will tell you all the news about me. And I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things that are happening here. So look first at Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, who will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. He may know your circumstance and comfort your hearts. Tychicus is actually mentioned five times in the New Testament. So you're going, oh, it's the first time I've heard of him. Yeah, but he, he's mentioned in the list of names several times. The first time is in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And he was one of the converts when Paul was in Ephesus, for three years. But God raised Tychicus up to end up being one of Paul's trusted leaders, a pastor, if you would. And from that point forward, Tychicus never left Paul. He was with him when Paul left Ephesus. And if you remember, Paul was on his third missionary journey. He was heading through the different churches to encourage them, but to also pick up offerings because of the persecuted church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, they were fired from their jobs. They were kicked out of their homes. They were being horribly persecuted for being Christians. 
And Paul was going to give the churches an opportunity, the Gentiles, to minister to the Jews. And he picked up funds, and there was a group of guys. Tychicus was one of those guys. And of course, as they started going that direction, Paul started getting prophecies that he was going to get arrested and put in prison. And Paul's like, hey, I'm still going. And of course, Paul was then arrested in Jerusalem and, and then eventually taken down to the coast about an hour away to Caesarea. And, uh, and there he was there for two years in jail until he went to Rome. And so then he got started traveling to Rome by ship, by walking. Tychicus was with him that whole time. Remember Paul's shipwrecked? Tychicus evidently was there on that shipwreck and got on the island of Malta. And then he went to Rome with Paul. He was a guy that stuck it out with Paul through thick and thin. And you can look at the five times there that he has mentioned. Of course, one of them is right here uh, in the book of Colossians and four other times in other locations. But now Paul is sending him from Rome and he wants him to take the letters to the church of Ephesus. And by the way, he had the letter to Colossae and to Philemon and also a letter that we don't have in the Bible, but a letter to Laodicea as well. Boy, all ministries all need guys like this because when Titus needed a break in, in Crete, Paul sent Tychicus to go pastor that church for a while. When Paul wanted Timothy to come to him, he sent Tychicus with that letter to Timothy and told Tychicus to pastor the church of Ephesus until Timothy came back. So Tychicus was one of these guys that was so faithful that Paul could just say, go pastor this church, take these letters, go minister to these people, take over that church and pastor that for a while. It was a pretty amazing. It's awesome to have guys like that who can really fill in on any spot because they're dependable and you know they're going to do it with all their heart and they're going to do it right. Look at the character statements or the characteristics about Tychicus. First of all, he was a beloved brother. This word beloved is the Greek word agape. We know that word, right? Agape love. But here it, it, it says agape and then adds a T-O-S. You know, in other words, saying he's a agape person or agape pastor, or agape brother, or agape man. I love that. He, he's, he's an agape dude. <laughs> he's an agape surfer. He's an agape cowboy. I, I don't know, you know, you'd say uh, camarero, you know, he's a cowboy. Uh, uh, but here, here you'd, you, it's a agapetos. He's agapetos. He's this agape. I hope all of you guys, and many of you are agapetos. Many of you are. But he also was an agapetos brother. Paul is saying, these guys are my family. He's my brother. Timothy's like, Timothy and Silas are like my kids. And then there's some elderly women that are like my moms, Paul says. This, this is his family. And maybe you're here today going, man, I, I want a family. I need a family. <laughs> I, I've been told so many times through the decades, people saying, I don't have a family. <laughs> My family was hooked on drugs back in wherever, and, and I left there, and they're all dead now. Or they're in prison, and 
they're so strung out on drugs, they're living on the street. I don't, I, I'm the only sober person in a very large family. Or so when I became a Christian, they're all Jehovah's Witnesses. They kicked me out. They won't talk to me anymore. Or Mormons or those kind of things. And they often say, this, I'm closer, I've experienced family more in the church than I ever have in my home growing up. And maybe you're here today listening, streaming it. Maybe you'll listen to this 10 years from now. And you're saying, man, I want to be a part of that family. Well, let me take a little intermission and tell you how. In John 1.12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. What does it take to become that just to receive Jesus? Jesus left his glory of heaven. He came into human flesh. He lived a perfect life for us to follow. It ended after 33 years when he was hung on a cross, paying for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. So he died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose on the third day, according to the scripture. That is our gospel. That's it. Those three things. And if you receive Jesus saying, I need a forgiver of my sins, and I'm not good enough to earn my way to heaven, I keep stumbling and falling and sinning. We all do. We're in this sinful body that nobody bats a thousand. <laughs> we have good days and bad days, good weeks, bad weeks, good months, bad months, good years, bad years. We are up and down, but God is faithful, even when we're not. So that's why our righteousness is based upon him giving it to us as a gift and not by earning it so all you do is receive jesus and you become a brother a sister to us you're a child of god and as god's children we're all brothers and sisters to one another in galatians three twenty six, for you are all sons of god through faith in christ jesus there you go we are saved by faith. The righteousness of God is declared from faith to faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's grace to us. We're saved by having faith in God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness. Nicodemus was told by Jesus in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. So 100% of everybody on this earth was born here. 100% of everybody in heaven was born into that kingdom. Not this time of physical birth, but this time a spiritual birth. Jesus goes on to say there <clears throat> in John 3, 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Do you guys know that story? The people were rebelling and murmuring and cursing God because they were stuck in the desert. And there were snakes, evidently, that God was keeping in the ground. And God, God said, 
because you're murmuring, I'm just going to take my hand away for a moment. And these snakes came out of the ground, and they were very poisonous. People were getting bit, and they died. And they came running to Moses, and they said, we know it's because of our murmuring. We know it's because of our bad attitude, and help us. And God said, get one of the poles, I think a flagpole. I think the flagpole of Judah, but he got a bronze serpent. They they, They made a serpent out of the metal of bronze, brass, and they put it on the pole. And every time they got bit, God said, just look at that snake on the pole and immediately you'll hear, you're healed. Wow, rather strange story. But he says here, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But you say a snake, isn't that evil? Isn't that sin? Isn't that the devil even? Yes. This is why I quoted that verse a minute ago in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus on the cross took the first sin of Adam, the last sin ever committed, and he had all of the sin of all of mankind and became sin. He was the snake. (laughs) He became evil for us, taking all our sin, paying for it. Through his death, he paid so we don't have to die eternally, spiritually. And he rose again, so we will raise again. You see, the Bible says we were with Christ on that cross. So when he died, we died. When he rose again, we rose again. And so he says it's that simple. What, so you say, have faith. We're, we're declared righteous by faith. What's that mean? Just look into Jesus. You see, if they in the wilderness looked at the bronze serpent, that means they had faith that God would heal them as God said he would heal them. When people look at Jesus and believe his cross, then God said, this is how you can be healed from all your sin and have the gift of heaven. So in John 3, 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so he goes on to say that whoever believes in him should not perish, number one, not perish, but have everlasting life. Now the other side of that coin in verse 16 and 17 of John 3 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, there it is again, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we do have a message that if you believe on the Lord, you won't perish. Now that's not our message. To go and say, God's going to condemn you, turn or burn. No, no, that's not the message. It's the truth, though. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. But man is already condemned if they don't receive the one way of salvation. And so when you believe the road of hell that you are on is now permanently forever gone, you'll never perish but you shall have everlasting life. See, everybody's going to live forever, either in hell or in heaven. But eternal life means you're with the Lord. No pain, no sorrow, no suffering in heaven with Jesus forevermore. How? By just looking to Jesus and believing. That's it. Nothing more. It's not of yourself. It's not of works. It's just a gift that God gives you the moment 
You believe upon him. You become a child of God. Let's just pray a second here. If there's any of you here today that may be saying, that's me. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want my name written in the book of life. I want to not perish but have everlasting life. Just right now, believe. Cry out to God in your heart. God, I know you love me and you sent your son Jesus. I received Jesus and the gift that he's given through paying for my sin on the cross and being buried and raised again on the third day, as the scripture says. I received that gift. I look to you right now, Jesus. Forgive me, heal me, and I thank you. That's it, in Jesus' name. You're born again. Well, moving on in this passage, the next thing we see is not only is he a beloved brother, as you now are a beloved brother, but he's a faithful minister or a faithful servant. Now, this is interesting because the next thing Paul's going to say, that he's a fellow servant or slave in the Lord. And he uses two different Greek words here. A faithful minister or a faithful servant, he's using the word uh, dikanos. This word dikanos is where we get our word deacon from, but it literally means a waiter or one who serves food. In the church, it meant one who helped the poor, one who helped and benefited others in the church, took care of the needs, physical needs in the church, a diakonos. And the fellow servant, it's a different word. This is the, the Greek word doulos, which is literally slave. But he adds the S-Y-N at the beginning, the sin doulos, which means a fellow servant. And, and sometimes slaves, especially when they, were being, when they were traveling, they would tie them together. And this is the term here. I'm, I'm tied together with another slave. <laughs> and that slave is Tychicus, my fellow chained brother, which really signifies they had the same master. Paul wasn't talking about his prison chains with Rome. He was talking about we're servants, bondservants of Christ, and we both have the same master, and we are serving him and his people. That's what we're doing. Interesting that Jesus said to be his follower, you needed to be both things. In Matthew 20, verse 26 and 27, yet it shall be, it shall not be so among you. They were seeking who would be the greatest. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your diakonos, your servant. And then in verse 27, whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave, doulos. Interesting. Jesus said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, be a diakonos, a, a waiter, one who serves the body of Christ and helps them with their needs. If you want to be first in my kingdom, then be the lowliest slave you can be serving, washing feet, doing the job of the lowliest servant. I love that. There's so many of you that are both here in this fellowship. The diakonos and the doulos. And then he goes on to say that one of his jobs is going to be coming and tell you the news about me. Now, Tychicus had a lot of news because he's been with Paul for years now. Even when Paul was in 
prison for two years in Caesarea, the traveling and all the difficulty and the boat wreck and Paul getting bit by a snake on the island of Malta and, and, and the whole island getting saved and, and then getting all the way to Rome and Paul's difficulties in Rome. Tychicus was always there and could give him a very expanded version. If you put verse 7 and 8 together, Tychicus was to report to the believers about Paul, but then he was also to find out how the church in Colossae was doing and bring that word back to Paul. So it's interesting that there's going to be other, like the very next guy who's going to tell them about Paul, but Tychicus is one that's going to be heading back to Paul. How awesome it is to have a beloved, faithful servant working together in unity, sticking by your side. There's a friend that's closer to the brother, the proverb says. There's a friend that loves at all times. This is Tychicus, one who is closer than a brother, one who sticks, you know, right next to him and won't let him go. Interesting passage in Psalms 133, and what you see is maybe not really what's happening here. But David's rejoicing about having these fellow brothers. And he says, and the whole psalm is just three verses, it says, Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. And then he says this, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing, life forevermore. So David is, in his mind eye, thinking back hundreds of years earlier when the very first priest was being anointed to be able to go into the temple and into the Holy of Holies and minister to God. And then God said, not just Aaron, but all the Levites will be my priesthood. This one tribe. And there, there the, the leaders are to come together and they're to pour oil upon Aaron. And, and it sounds like they just went for it. You know, they didn't do a little dab. They did the whole bottle. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Oil just coming off him, dripping all over him, soaking his clothes, a big giant oil spot where he was standing or sitting. And they were just laughing. It was like God's spirit really came upon Aaron. It wasn't just oil. It wasn't just them. It wasn't just their prayers. God met them in their obedience together. And this whole group of brothers just had a holy moment of laughter and joy in the Holy Spirit when that happened. And David is saying, when God, the very last line of this psalm, when God is going to move, when Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R-D, when Yah, the Yahweh, Jesus, does this, it's at this point in time where brothers are together in one accord, of one heart, of one mind. Interesting. Where is the greatest outpouring of the oil of God's Spirit? 
on the day of Pentecost. Go back and reread that and take note when it says they were all together in one accord, in one place of the same mind, of the same heart. And then it says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and in one accord. When they were in this place of unity, God's spirit poured out and it was again a time of laughter. It was a time of incredible joy. You know, it's not something that really can be explained. I mean, what are cloven tongues of fire? Man, I've seen all kinds of pictures of that. Have you ever seen that where they have a little fire above it and it's a tongue? <laughs> it's like, so it's like a fire, but it's, if you look at it, it's a tongue. And <laughs> I don't know if that's really what it was, but that's the way they described it. And then they were all magnifying God and they didn't know what they were saying. It was all an unknown language to them. But as it turned out, people of all the various languages heard them perfectly speaking in their language. Going, how, how does this, these people know my language? It was just a supernatural work of them speaking in tongues, glorifying and praising God. It was rather embarrassing, if you would. Because they all looked like they were drunk. Peter has to start his sermon. We're not drunk. I know we look drunk, and I even feel a little drunk. <laughs> Every, we all feel like ah, we've laughed so hard, and, and we're you know, sort of a little dizzy. Yeah, it's, but it's not alcohol. Interesting, later Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> I don't know if he was talking about that or if he was just saying don't, Try to get a buzz from something exterior. Let it be your buzz, your ecstasy, your elation that you need. We all need those moments of laughter. We all need those moments of joy. He's saying, get it in the Holy Spirit. Where? By coming together of one accord, of one heart, of one mind, and crying out to God together there. It's when God's Spirit's going to be poured out. There is where we're going to experience that life forevermore as this happens. Wow. I do uh, love the fact that they were a beloved brother there together. Tychicus was one that was thick and thin through Apostle Paul, never left his side for years. Well, we're going to have to move on to verse 9 now. Onesimus. A faithful brother, also a beloved brother, an agapetos brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Onesimus, we're going to see in a second a play on words because his name actually is profitable. I guess he was a slave. And I guess the slave owner said, oh, here's a profitable slave. Well, we'll call him profitable. That was his name. But Here's, here's this wild and crazy story. Onesimus happened to be from Colossae. And his slave owner happened to be the leader in the church. And Onesimus was a non-believing slave in, the house, in this house church. And Onesimus got tired of Philemon, and he ran away. It sounds like he stole something on the way out. 
that God had a divine appointment in the large populous city of Rome, Paul and Onesimus pass, cross pass. And Paul leads Onesimus to the Lord. You guys love divine appointments? I've had those kind of things happen so many times. It's miraculous every time. One of the big times I had is when I was with a missionary going to Mexico City, and, and a guy asked this missionary from Tijuana saying, hey, can you find my family? And here's a, here's a current picture of me, and, and let them know I'm alive. I think they all think I'm dead because I was so wiped out on drugs, and I was heading to America. He had been told, if you can get to America, you can sweep one block of the gutters in America and get enough change to retire for life. Fully believed that. Fully believed it. Well, he got, he was so hung, he was so messed up on drugs, he came and got kicked back. And anyway, he came to Christ at the church there in Tijuana. So we were, all we knew is he was in this area called Netza. Now you got to understand, Mexico City, at least at that time, was the world's largest city population-wise. So we get on this bus and get on this tram and we get out and step out of Netza and it's just skyscrapers and huge buildings and, and it was just an area of millions of people. We had no address and he told us, I don't even know if my family even lives there anymore. We're a pretty messed up family. So I was with this missionary, we just started walking and praying, walking down one road walking down another road, walking down. There's sort of like these brownstone and and New York type buildings and just praying, going, God, help us here, lead us. We finally came, there's one brownstone, and there's this little girl, maybe eight years old, outside playing on her steps. There's a gate. And the the missionary said, hey, um, do you happen to know this guy? And we showed a picture of the little girl. And she says, I can't talk to strangers, and you shouldn't be talking to strangers, and I'm going to go get my mom. And we're like, that'd be good. And her mom came out looking rather upset that, you know, a couple of these weirdo gringos are talking to this daughter. And, and we're just like, sorry about that. We just want to know, do you know this guy? First person we talked to, Annette, and the girl's face just went white. She goes, that's my brother. Is he alive? (laughs) And we told her the story, and she goes, my family has not gotten together in years. Tonight, we have extended family from all over Mexico coming to my uncle's house in another area. And uh, would you come and tell us about my brother? And we went there, and there was a huge family. We preached the gospel. It was just, it was amazing. And since that time, I've had so many of these type of divine appointments where it's just the Lord doing it. This is what I think happened with Onesimus. I think it was just one of those divine moments. And then Paul finds out Philemon, he's the guy I handed the church off to in Colossae. I know him. Well, Onesimus ends up becoming a runaway slave and a pastor. In Philemon, it's a little short book, one paragraph, really, but in verse 1, it tells us Paul and a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our, bro- our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. He says, skipping down to verse 8 of Philemon, 
Therefore, though I may be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul in age, now also the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son, here's a son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, while a prisoner. He's one of the many people that I've led to Christ. Who once was, and here's a play on words, unprofitable <laughs> to you, but now he is Onesimus. He is a profitable one to you and to me. Now, Paul goes on in this letter to tell Philemon that he needs Onesimus, but Onesimus can't really minister until things are clear between him and Philemon. And he says, hey, whatever this guy stole from you, Paul said, put it on my account and uh, I'll pay for it. And you can have Onesimus back as your slave. That's your right. But I'm asking you that you would just let him go free so he can come back and be a pastor alongside me. And he said, I don't want it to be of compulsion. I want you to be do it joyfully, freely, as a gift from your heart. And uh, Philemon ends up doing that. We'll have to study that little book eventually. But I love this, that this guy Onesimus, whose life was literally in slavery and a mess, how God turned it around. Reminds me of that passage in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And here Onesimus gets a second chance in life when he comes to Christ and in Christ. Interesting that Onesimus is called faithful. Now, Tychicus is called a, a faithful minister, but not so with Onesimus. He's just called faithful, which is interesting because he was anything but that when he was with Philemon as a non-believer. But now as a believer, God's changing him from the inside out. And guy who used to be an unfaithful servant to Philemon is very much a faithful servant to the body of Christ. You know, when we stand before God, that is going to be the only real question. Have we been faithful in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says, Moreover, it's required in servants that one be found faithful. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over what? A few things. I make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So it's really not about were you successful did you do something big? God has some people over big things. God has other people over small things. But they can equally receive the same exact prize by whether they were faithful, whether it was a big thing or a small thing. Were they faithful with what was before them? Look at that whole passage in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. More of it's required of a steward that one be found faithful. Listen to what Paul says, verse 3. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time unless the Lord comes, who will bring 
both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So he says, hey, I can't even judge myself because I'll get it wrong. I, I have, everybody has that built-in mechanism to have mercy on themselves. Yeah, yeah, I did that, but let me explain to, you know, my excuse of it's not as bad as it looks. That's, so Paul is saying, I, I, I could judge myself as innocent. <laughs> Doesn't mean I am in God's eyes. Only God can do that. But he said, I'm very confident. I'm very confident to have God judge me because I know I've been faithful. Interesting, isn't it? He didn't say he was perfect. He didn't say he did everything right. He just said, I I haven't stopped. (laughs) I've been consistent. I haven't quit. Boy, what would the church here at Los Alamitos look like if everybody was just faithful with a little thing? But yet we're not, especially after COVID. <laughs> People learn to stay home in their pajamas and they, they, they don't want to stop doing that. They're very faithful to that. But we need to get back into seeking God and being in the word, being in prayer, coming to fellowship, to minister, to get grow in the Lord and to minister to one another. But a faithful person is a person who's on time. He's a person who's consistent He's a person who just grinds it out, whether it's on a mountaintop or in a valley, whether it's hard or easy, in the summer, in the winter, when it's cold, when it's hot, when they're not feeling good, when they are feeling good. I think, I think this generation just goes by feelings. You know, they wake up in the morning, do I feel spiritual today? Nah, I won't go to church. Do I feel the Spirit moving me to read the Bible? Nah, not today. No, a faithful person is somebody who just says, life is short, life is just a vapor, right? Lord, help me to number my days that I can know wisdom. In Proverbs 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But here Solomon in all his wisdom says, but who can find a faithful man? Those are rare. And Paul is talking about a couple of very rare guys. He's also a beloved brother. He's one of you. He's from the town of Colossae. But now he's going to be one of you as a brother in the Lord and the church. And then he said, he also will make known to you all things that happen to me. So Onesimus has a, a, a unique perspective. Tychicus had a unique perspective of what they're seeing about the ministry of Paul. And together, they're both going to give insights to what is going on with Paul. Well, as we conclude today, looking at these unique people, And we're going to be looking at several more in the next week. First of all, I I think, note again, that Paul's life in prison had to be very confusing. And I think this is what they're talking about. They had to comfort the believers. It's like, I don't understand if the the preachers are coming through and they're saying that Paul's in prison because his message of grace was wrong. And God put him in prison to shut him up. And they come into town. They have the finest clothes. And they're staying in the finest hotels and eating the best food. And, and they're preaching, telling that, you know, that they're the ones that are right and Paul's wrong. And it's, it's, what's, it's confusing. Help me understand this. Well, we know that Paul's greatest ministry was being in prison, right? Because... His ministry has lasted till right now. Paul's letters in Roman prison 2,000 years ago, we're here studying them today. 
Paul's ministry is half of our New Testament. But God put him in a very uncomfortable place. He couldn't go to the churches and talk to him. That's what he really wanted to do. God says, no, you can't go in person, but you can go by letter. And of course, I don't even think Paul understood it till later that, that this is actually scripture that he's writing that would be never pass away, not a jot or tittle of it would ever pass away until it's fulfilled. So we learn in Paul that God does turn all things around for good, no matter what the circumstances are. We can have that same confidence when we go through our own prison, so to speak, our own hard times. Secondly, I think to be faithful servants of Christ, let's live in the Spirit. Let's daily seek the Lord for divine appointments. This is the day. Just wake up. This is the day the Lord's made. I want to rejoice and be glad in it. Let the joy of the Lord be my strength. Let me walk in the Spirit with your love, your joy, your peace, your patience. Help me to be a agapetos to everybody around me, especially in the church. Let me be that guy that's faithful. Not, I don't have a lot, but the little bit I do have, I'm just going to grind it out until I see you face to face, Jesus being faithful no matter what the circumstances. And thirdly, to bring words to the body of Christ, bring words from God to a very dark and dying and hurting world. This society who's seeking to be a transgendered or homosexual or whatever, they're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a place where people know their name. They're looking for a family. They're looking for connection. They're hurting. And they know that if they join this club of transgendered people, they immediately are going to be accepted deeply into a community as a family member, as a fellow struggler in this transgender society. They're connected. But it's a road that leads to death. And we need to be connected so we can connect others and let them know what you're longing for is God. What you're longing for is Jesus to fill your heart. It's, it's not to be accepted by people. It's for you to first come to Christ and receive him and to have him make you a child of God and then to become brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fathers and to the family of God. That's, that's what they're longing for. So Lord, here I am going out to a very dark world that needs your love. Let me shine as a light and give them your love, your kindness, your goodness. Amen. Well, thank you for your word today, Lord. And thank you for washing us in it and cleansing us by it and giving us your word and season for our fellowship here right now. We know that where we're at in the word is where we're at. We thank you for those today who have believed you and received you and our children of God who came to church, maybe not understanding that they're born again, they shall not perish, but have everlasting life, but now they do. Those who are listening by streaming, those who are listening five years from now, Lord, just do a deep work of grace and then bringing them nearer and to nearer to you and to the family of God. Lord, I ask you to bless Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos and make us a light, a salt to this Rossmore community and beyond. 
Lord, do a deep work of grace in us that we are a praying people, that we are a loving people, that we truly are disciples taking up our cross, following you faithfully. Your kingdom come. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen.